you for tuning in to Sparks and Honey's Daily Culture Briefing. My name is Ben Grinspan, and today we are going to be deviating a little bit from our typical way of talking about culture in the vertical. Uh, we still are going to be using Q, I will say that. Um, but we wanted to take a, a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of time today to kind of talk about what it means to actually be a cultural strategist. We're always on here. We're always getting deep into what cultural strategy means. But I think we wanted to take a, a couple, uh, you know, this, this particular briefing to ask ourselves some questions about what is a cultural strategist? How do you end up a cultural strategist? And so we have some amazing people on the panel to help. I'm going to introduce a new face to our to our viewers, although she's not she's she's very new in Sparks and Honey, but not quite that new. Uh, we're joined by our head of culture, Aisha Syed. Aisha, it's great to have you here today. Thanks, Ben. I'm so excited to be here, and this is a topic that I'm so thrilled to talk about. Yeah. And hopefully, during the next 30 minutes, we can talk about cultural strategy as a career, so hopefully it's going to be useful for everyone who's thinking about building a career here, transitioning into this space, and even for anyone who's curious just to know about what we do. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I find I often tell people when I, that I work in a cultural strategy firm that I'm a director of cultural strategy, blah, 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 and everyone goes, that sounds amazing. What is that? <laughs> so I hope that today we can kind of answer that question. And we put together a little panel of some of our cultural strategists. So joining us uh, from San Francisco, we have Alice Lee. And joining us from uh, like eight feet away from me, we have Brendan Shaughnessy, uh, Cassie Tipe, and Hannah Jerome. So we pulled some of... Look, we have lots of wonderful cultural strategists, and we wanted to pull a couple of random people from all different areas of our, of our practice and um, see how you guys do what you do. So um, Aisha's going to be my co-prefer for the day, and um, Aisha, maybe, uh, let, should, we, should we dive on in? Yeah, absolutely, and I think we have such a great plan panel here today, and everyone comes in with diverse backgrounds and experiences, so probably we could get started and get mm -hmm. everyone to introduce themselves. So Alice, uh, should we start with you? Um, hi, um, I'm a senior cultural strategist at Pop and Honey, um, and I, I just always love deciphering patterns in people, things, and places, um, and examining how they interact with society. So, so it's like a natural fit for me. That's why, that's why I like it. <laughs> yeah. The secret is that when Alice showed up, she showed us some of that work that she was doing uh, for fun with a friend of hers. And we're like, oh, you are just, you're just like a, like you're just an amateur professional strategist. Do you want to be a, a professional one too? <laughs> Thank you very much, Alice. Uh, Brendan? Yeah, sure. Uh, Brendan Shaughnessy, uh, cultural strategy director. I've been at Sparks and Honey for just at three years. Um, and I'm a cultural strategist because I like getting stuck on TikTok and overthinking because I'm type A. So it's great to be here and talking about... I, I, uh, there's a great banner that I saw the other day, and it was um, great minds overthink alike, and I really think that that embodies a lot of strategy in general, but certainly cultural strategy because we can overthink culture and why change is taking place. So it's my passion. Awesome. Hi, Ketsi Tipe here, junior cultural strategist. Um, one of the reasons I like cultural strategy so much is because it's just evolving so quickly. There's so much in the space, and just being able to navigate it and apply it to different things is something that is just a great interest to me. Okay. And I'm Hannah. I'm a cultural strategist here at Sparks. Um, I hit my three years on Monday, um, and I, 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 I love being a strategist. I kind of serendipitously um, stumbled upon cultural strategy, um, but for me, it's kind of the curiosity that has been so exciting. Awesome. 
Well, so now that we've uh, introduced ourselves a little bit, I think we have to start with like what the big question here is, right? Which is like, how would you define the role of cultural strategists? I know I'm not the only one here who's gotten that question about like, literally, what does that mean? Because, you know, I mean, one thing that is really interesting about the field that we as the cultural strategists in the room find ourselves in, and even our, our coworkers who, who have to uh, define this as well, is that this really wasn't a job title about a decade ago. So, you know, I, I think that's a, I, I'm really curious how you guys, at least from the, the perspective of when we talk about branding or marketing or innovation, how do you define what a cultural strategist is and, and what, a, what cultural strategy is, is, is tasked with? Um, I, I don't know if you guys want to jump in. Hannah, can we start with you? Sure. So I think going back to that curiosity um, you know, point, it's a very kind of anthropological, sociological job. It requires, again, having just a kind of wide range of curiosity about anything. So it could be business. It could be, you know, something very small like a Twitter thread. Um, it's kind of just that that perspective. Mm -hmm. So we, I think, like, growing up, like, we all took, like, marketing classes or advertising classes, and, like, there's the four Cs, right? And it's, like, the category... The brand, whatever that is with the C, uh, the consumer experience, <laughs> the, the competitors. And, and I think like what it's often difficult to describe what cultural strategy is. It's like it's the thing that sits at the middle, but it also isn't there. And you often feels like you're observing something that is either emerging or it hasn't fully manifested itself yet. Um, and when we when we hunt for signals like the ones that we have on the board or within, um, you know, our work all the time, I often think it's like it's so hard to find these things because it's alluding to changing behaviors. Mm -hmm. But when you see it, you know, there's the, the this is a tangent, but like the, the whole like, um, the first ruling on what is pornography and what is not pornography. Right. They were like, I don't know what it is, but I know it when I see it. And when I, I know when I see a really interesting cultural signal, whether that is people buying, you know, clothes for their pet or for their plants or joining, you know, Facebook groups to pretend that they're an ant. It's like there's interesting something that's going on here. And I don't know how to describe it, but I know we need to dig deeper here. And so I always think it's those it's these pits or things. And I think that's what Q helps us do is like size it or at least yeah. provide context to it. Just to piggyback yeah. off of that, I would also say, I mean, I'll, go, I'll pass to you after just quickly. Like it. it Many people are finding out what is happening. We are just kind of that detectives finding out why those, those things are happening. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I feel like it depends on whom you talk to. So if someone um, works in finance, I would say, like, um, I manage intangible value. If someone works in business, I would say, like, I quantify opportunities and analyze risks. So if they are, like, a C-suite um, executive, I would say, like, I design frameworks that support decision-making process, help prioritize investment, and optimize product portfolios. So if they are an artist, I would say, like, um, I'm a fortune teller, but <laughs> instead of uh, tarot cards, I use data-driven tools and uh, rigorous methodologies. <laughs> I think we have a set of tarot cards somewhere. Ketsi, do you want to round us off? How do you define yeah. what a cultural strategist is? Well, I think everything they just said, and then taking all of those things and kind of making a story out of it and using that to kind of answer a question. Um, usually the brand would come with questions and then we'd have to answer it and kind of form some sort of narrative. And I think the most interesting part would be to see where they fit in um, from a long or short-term perspective. Yeah, I love that because it's all about like, yes, it's one thing to practice and we do this culture briefing every day because it's about practicing and building this process of like spotting these changes, but it's about building them and recognizing those patterns over time is like what I think is valuable to clients. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I make sense of this clarity? How do I action on this? And like cultural strategy requires you to build action into those changes, not just acknowledge that they're taking place. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
one, I'm going to put on my recruiter hat now, and, and there's a lot of interest that we get from candidates about cultural strategy, but I think one question that we often get is what makes a good cultural strategist? Mm -hmm. And especially at Sparks and Honey, keeping in mind some of our core values of adaptability, curiosity, courage, resilience, and humanity, how does that come to life, and, and how does that make anyone successful in this role? Mm. Pass it to you, our, our newest and, and youngest of cultural strategists. What do you think? Yeah, so um, I'm fairly new here, um, and I've really enjoyed my time here. I, I do think that um, it's very niche in a good way. You get to build um, a new skill set, and again, you get to answer questions. Um, and I think that just kind of building that into a narrative again is, is, is something that's really important, and kind of keeping that curiosity and learning how to navigate in this whole sea of information that's um, that's evolving. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just using it how to answer questions, I'd say, is, is the main thing that I'm learning. Hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in here for, for one second. You know, there's an, old, there's an old joke at Sparks and Honey that we get to Google absolutely everything. We're like the only people at Omnicom who can do that and not uh, get hauled into HR. But obviously, this is not just about just like transgressively looking up anything you're interested in looking up. I, I do think that, that specifically that value of curiosity is the kind of thing where it's like you should be not only, uh, you shouldn't only get a, a kick out of uh, searching that stuff, but you should, the kick should be uh, uh, intellectual rather than transgressive. It should be like an always, because this job's impossible if you're not curious uh, about the subject. I think that it's like the cop-out answer is that like we have so many different flavors of cultural strategists and like some, some people are really good at a single tool set. Some people are really good at social listening. Some people are really good at signal hunting, which is an absolute skill, like being a good Googler and trying to understand like what is the thing that doesn't exist that you mm -hmm. can actually try to search for. Yeah. Um, so I think like figuring out what your thing is and bringing that to a room or bringing that to a client or bringing that to a single headline is like our job is constantly pushing on those little things that all of a sudden add up at the end of a presentation or at the end of a recommendation. So yeah. there isn't a single one, um, but like you can figure out what your what your flavor is, mm -hmm. um, for me, mine's uh, Mid Midwestern uh, Hidden Valley Ranch. Right, um, literally look at his socks today, so, everybody. Can, so we get, can we get the camera out, shot on that? Figure out the <laughs> thing and then work on it and get better at it and and then find something different because like, there's always a different tool set or a different data set to bring in. Hannah, can I ask yeah. you to round this out? I mean, because I, you know, the, the question we have up is, is both like, not only what are the attributes of what makes a good cultural strategist, but how does that come to life at Sparks and Honey? Like, what does this organization do to make that feel like? I know we are always encouraging. I spoke to curiosity. We are always encouraging curiosity. What other values do you see as a, as an organization that we have that make for a, make for good cultural strategy work? So a few things. We have a breadth of clients. So going back to Brendan's point, you have your own flavor. You have your own passion. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time that lines up with, with um, you know, a kind of cultural question we're being asked to answer. A few other things, we do fun culture tracks. So, um, you know, we, we kind of go out into the universe and, and um, again, see what's out there, not just online, but in kind of physical spaces. And then these culture briefings, I think they're really helpful to, you know, kind of going back to that learning org angle, um, just being able to kind of flex that muscle every day. I think that's something we do really well collectively. Yeah. So I've got a more, I, oh, ooh, Alice, would you like to jump in? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just going to uh, jump in here. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like signals, uh, we, we usually talk about signals in uh, Spot and Honey. I feel like it's how to define signals. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's like signals can be interpreted in uh, two dimensions, time and space. Like time is like something happening now will likely happen more frequently in the future. And mm -hmm. space is like some, something happening here has the potential to happen 
somewhere else and on a potentially larger scale in the future. So some qualities that may, I feel like, make a good strategist include like the curiosity Hannah mentioned about the world and ability to identify signals, of course, and also like recognize patterns. But also there's another thing I feel like super important uh, connected to our core value is like we often have to answer like very complicated and less defined questions from the clients and design frameworks from scratch. Yeah. So which means like it's important not to be intimidating by the unknown and and to be resilient uh, when frameworks fail and require redesigning and and addressing on the go <laughs> i love that and I, I i love what you said about the the idea of not being intimidated by the unknown because uh you know i've seen i've seen a lot of people pass through here there's people who end up in, in wonderful spaces and uh one one thing that i feel like often can can Hold certain people back is if they are if they do have that thing where they're a little bit freaked out by the unknown. One thing that is a sign of someone who's going to thrive here at Sparks and Honey is yeah. being curious and excited about the unknown instead of asking like, "Oh my God, how do I answer that question?" It should be, "Oh my God, how do I answer that question?" <laughs> um, okay, so um, let's uh, let's keep moving here for one second. Um, actually, I wanted to jump into this one. Um, so. I'm curious about, we, you know, we often talk about, like, I think after we get the question, what does a cultural strategist do, the next question is often, like, um, well, what's, like, an example of the work that you do, you know? And so I'm curious about that, and obviously we can't use too many, we can't use client names, but I'd be curious from our, from our panel of maybe some of the projects you've been on or some of the asks that you've been asked to engage with that helped really crystallize to you, like, what cultural strategy is. I mean, I'll... I will start by saying that, you know, I've been here for five years. We worked with, and, and, you know, my first sense of what this really was and why cultural strategy was different than creative strategy or marketing strategy was working with one of our insurance clients that was, you know, fundamentally it made, uh, they make a lot of their money from, from Medicare, right? That's their biggest, uh, that's, that's, where they, that's where their biggest, uh, you know, the, the revenue generator is and trying to understand what it meant to be 65. And I was like, oh, that is a very different question than how do you connect with 65-year-olds? What channels do they show up on? What language do they need? It was a much bigger question about how does age, what does aging look like today? And that was definitely my moment where I was like, oh, cultural strategy is a different discipline, you know? So um, the first product I ever worked on here was um, solving a very, um, you know, business-critical supply and demand issue with agriculture. Mm -hmm. And um, our approach was looking at our relationships between animals and how they have changed. Um, and I think that was a really good example of kind of, you know, tying together our thinking with something as broad as, you know, how our relationship with animals changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like we are so often when you work as a, as a strategist in the agency world, there's often a question of, like, right or wrong, what's going to work, what's not going to work. And I feel like we are often tasked with bigger questions, less about right and wrong and more about what do we expect to happen? How do you expect this to change? And that's a really different, that's a fundamentally different question than, it, you know, is this the right channel to go with? Is this the right, I don't know, budget? Um, so um, any, yeah. Oh, go ahead, yeah. please. Yeah. Um, so one um, that I'm currently working on or closing off is we're looking at um, the future of enjoyment. And I thought, uh, as Hannah was speaking, I was just thinking what Alice was saying with time and space. Um, it's such a broad topic. And I think being able to see um, repetitions that are happening or things that are very much on the edge and kind of learning how to see what will actually stay and, yeah. you know, what's just a, a phase. Um, I think that's something that you also kind of have to learn how to 
distinguish mm -hmm. between with cultural strategy. Um, so I was just thinking of that, and I think that the breadth at first, how, how broad it was, was very overwhelming, but it's just interesting to see where things are placed um, and how you can put them into context. How many, yes, how many times do I have to write NFT in this? <laughs> for me, I think it's like, um, just like looking at a, a fringe signal, right? Like being able to look at that fringe behavior and then using that as the basis for an entire report. Like you could take a single signal, one of the you know 15 that we do in a daily culture briefing and do an entire report around, but why that? You know, like yeah. if it's, if it's uh, and I think oftentimes that comes within like intersections. So that might be an audience plus, you know, sustainability, an audience plus um, a category. And I think like when we, when we push our questions to be more and more fringe or centered around fringe behaviors, it like all of a sudden becomes way more interesting than just saying, I wonder what the future of food and beverage is. Um, the whole, you know, future of enjoyment, looking at like the way behaviors are changing. Um, one of my favorite was just like, how are people um, having converse, uh, constructive conversations online? Or what is their willingness to be open in online environments? These like things that are rooted in weird behaviors in weird spaces or emerging platforms, like let you be fringe and lean into that. And like Alice said, those things that are likely happening today are more than likely going to grow over time too. So what does yeah. that mean? Alice, you've been here for almost three years. What's a moment where you felt like uh, cultural strategy was crystallized for you? I feel like it was probably the, I gave my first valuable insight during a project uh, in my first year at Spons and Honey, like helping a consumer goods, like cleaning consumer goods parent company understand like large scale global shifts over the next 10 years. And I was like, are we supposed to answer such a big question? This is like huge. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and like the study was meant to help like transform the business to stay ahead of change. And instead of looking into like one specific group of target audience, like my previous jobs, it's like I read research papers that combine like social, political, economical, <laughs> technological, environmental factors. Like, it's like, oh my God, like <laughs> these mega trends, like such as like demographic shifts will likely continue in the long Long term and and I also like like use different like data sets and to design frameworks to pr predict future and and through this project I realized that oh my god like the invisible can actually be quantified <laughs> mm. yeah I love that, that the moment of quantification can I put you on the hot spot for one second Aisha sure. when uh, have you had a moment yet uh, as someone who is uh, around all this cultural strategy but maybe isn't a cultural strategist herself where you've seen something and gone that's the that's where cultural strategy can sort of kick but in in so many different ways i think you know i have like a niece who's uh who's just moved from dubai and she's probably uh you know going through the same stages and phases in life as uh my 20 year old nanny who's from costa rica and and mm. you know but they're kind of going through the same stages in life and maybe talk about Gen Z and, mm. and some of the influences that we have as 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 an organization. Yeah. I think I could completely see that kind of translate and, and come to life in so many different ways. Cultural strategy in the home. I love it. <laughs> um, you know, Alice got to, uh, to a, a, a topic that I think is worth discussing. Do you want to take us through our next question here? Yeah. Um, I think given cultural strategy is such a new space and no one really went to school, at least for now, to be a cultural strategist, I'm just curious to know from this group, what are some of the other uh, strategy consulting jobs that you've held in the past and, and how are they similar or different from what we do here? I guess I'll go first since I probably had more jobs than the rest <laughs> of our panel. Um, so I started out working in just like millennial research and I always think like, Oftentimes, we're young people, and we get thrust into these positions where we're all of a sudden representing entire cohorts or generations. And so I just became obsessed with researching millennials or 
debunking millennial myths that weren't true. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of it became like generational research. And then I moved into um, brand strategy. And I think there's a ton of parallels. The biggest difference is like we get asked cooler briefs. Um, and we have permission to like think a little bit beyond sometimes just like a single brand. And um, so I, I think it's, it's more about maintaining like the way that you think about brand, brand strategy and applying that to, again, those intersections that exist between consumer or culture or category. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all, it's all practice. Strategy is strategy, yeah. um, but it's about trying to figure out the landing spot. And in this case, it's all about bringing context to culture. Yeah. And I think if you're, well, okay, if you're like a bit of a narcissist like me, I mean, one thing that I love about working at this consultancy is like um, our work is the kind of the output. So having work, spend some time working in ad agencies and, and other forms, you know, you sort of hand the work off and you're like, good luck with it, you know, and then you see it like two months later and you're like, oh, my, my boy, they massacred my boy, you know. Um, but, you know, one thing that's great about working as a cultural strategist in a cultural strategy firm is it's like you feel like you're producing the the end product and and you know for for some some people are great at letting that go and others who others who, who want um a little more maybe not control but a little more of that of that rich uh, final product experience like that's a thing that is fundamentally different about working at sparks and honey than working in a similar position at say an ad agency yeah and yes um i mean this is my first job, so I can only talk to, you know, past experiences. But right. I feel like in um, a lot of media agencies or just within the industry, usually with briefs, you kind of look at where things are now. I think that we look at where things are going. And I think when you look at where things are, you kind of rely on more research to make your brief. I mean, we do rely on research, too, but we're also more at the forefront of creating something totally. more and something that other brands can use, too, from us, um, yeah. even with our reports. Um, Hannah or Alice, can I ask about a non strategy-focused job that you've had that is maybe similar or different than working here at Sparks and Honey? Any time spent at the JCC or scooping ice cream or something where you're seeing <laughs> similarities? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of... Um, How creative can you be? Well, I used to... Okay, yeah. so for instance, I used to be a historic tour guide, right? This is the thing a lot... This is like a favorite. This is my little two truths and a lie thing, right? And I actually have found that there in some ways are similarities between the tour guiding that I would do in, uh, you know, in the streets of the Independence National uh, uh, Park in, in uh, Center City, Philadelphia, and the work that I do here, because sometimes I do feel like for clients, we're sort of like touring them around these ideas, you know, and trying to talk to them about narratives and bring in culture that might be valuable to them. Like, yeah, occasionally I do feel like I am doing tour guiding work when I'm... The biggest difference is you're here, you're walking forward, and there you're walking backwards. Backward, that's true. And uh, no tips, unfortunately. I've never had a client... Tip me in cash. Okay, <laughs> let's let's keep moving. Um, and I think you know we've been we've said some very positive things about cultural strategy. Obviously, that's kind of the goal of today. But I am curious a little bit about some of the because it is a discipline, and as everybody has gotten at, it is an evolving discipline. That means there are definitely some weaknesses, some blind spots. We face some challenges. I'm curious from our panel, what are some of those that you have faced, and um, how do you navigate them? Alice, can I ask you to start? Um, yeah, uh, um, I think uh, from my perspective, uh, the biggest uh, uh, obstacle would be the um, cognitive bias that um, mm. many people and businesses still have this belief that uh, culture is not important. They didn't say that, but like I 
I just feel like I can still sense that and mm. occasionally. Um, so I feel like imagine this scenario, like if, if you're in a boat, like traveling against like strong wind and the boat may sink at that moment. And superficially, you may think like the most practical knowledge to have uh, how it's how to control the boat. Uh, however, the most practical knowledge to have in that situation it is actually abstract knowledge about the longitude, the latitude, the mm. ocean current, and the wind direction. And, and culture is like the, the upper half of the abdominal. And, and as a consultancy, I, I feel like it's, it's, super, it's super important. Uh, it's critical for us to be like armed with like diverse cultural resources, yeah. like uh, from tools, like experts, partnerships, and talents. And only then can we like proactively uh, work to educate, educate the public uh, the importance of culture and, and our clients uh, on the importance of, uh, of, of it and, and shape the world we want to see and with our clients. Yeah, I think that's right. We, when, we, when we used to have more tours of the office and hopefully when we get back to this, there was always this moment where you get sort of this skeptical look from the one person in the group who's like, I don't get why this stuff is valuable. So and that it's still there. You're totally right. My mind goes to not necessarily weakness or blind spot, but more of just attention and how the world has changed. We are looking at culture from, you know, again, a very like, broad perspective, as we talked about. Yeah. And the thing with the world we live in is that everyone's culture is very personal to them and mm -hmm. unique to them. You know, what one person reads on Twitter is different than what someone else reads on their own publications. And I think... Again, going back to what Alice just said about our tools, our tools help us navigate a very, very hyper-personalized, hyper-polarized world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it comes down to metrics because there's a million ways you can look at cultural strategy and a million inputs. It's always easy to poke holes in like the way that you size or project things. And so I think for any project, like finding the fringe and interesting things that are happening is the easy part. Mm. And then finding the ways to score and validate those recommendations or totally. where you think are going is the vast majority of where we spend our time. Um, and so I think as long as you, you know, work with your team to like identify the way that you're measuring those things, um, it helps validate again what we're seeing out in the real world. Picking, sometimes that means picking proxies for things that don't actually exist yet. Yeah. Um, so what are the things? What are the what are the the Kager scores or the the metrics or the consumer behavior stats that we can use to allude to where things might go in the future? Ketsy, what what have you in your you know in your in your months of, of being here of, of exploring this because you're the freshest to all of this? Yeah. What have you seen as some of the weaknesses or some of the things where it's just like we lack some clarity, maybe. This is also your, uh, your six-month review. So yeah. Feel free to <laughs> it all I have notes. Uh... No pressure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, a bit of a, I'm going to answer it a bit differently. I was kind of just thinking of um, going off of what Brendan said. I think that a lot of the time, because we're so fringe and when you think of culture strategy, sometimes it can just seem very abstract, but a lot of it is actually driven by logic and numbers and measurement. Yeah. And I think that a part of that is just very important because there are... Like, like we said, like we're kind of just trying to navigate this, bro this broad pool of culture. And I think you just need some clarity of like what would be, even if something's very fringe, even if something's new, you kind of need some sort of understanding if it still has some sort of strong prominence or if it's still going to be there because, you know, yeah. you can't really bank on a, on a signal or a trend that, you know, may, may just not last long. And that happens a lot um, totally. in, in the whole trend universe. So I think relying heavily on metrics and just having an understanding of what, what what will stay in what won't, I think, is very important and can be a, a, a weakness because it changes so quickly, but can also be a strength because you just understand it even more. Yeah, and, and uh, there is also that constant tension as a, as a cultural strategist where you're like, I love this signal. I think this is so fringe. I think this is so cool. Is the client going to care? 
does this connect to the to the bigger story that we need to tell, even if I, you know, even if it seems like it may be. Uh, also, flipping uh, weaknesses and opportunities, mm. very well done from a cultural strategy perspective. <laughs> Narrative is everything. Oh, sure. Lack, of, lack of evidence is evidence in its own way, right? All right, all right. Uh, should we move on to our next question here? Yes, yes. As, as we, I think, start to think about cultural strategy as a career and, and what's the future of it, I'd, I'd love to get the group's thoughts on what are some of the the clear career paths, whether it, it's a vertical growth, horizontal growth, a completely parallel track to what people do today. What, what are some thoughts around the future of cultural strategy as a career? You go first. Sure. <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting. I think that... Um, just the way, I keep on saying the way things are evolving, but things are more interconnected than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps us in a way because it just makes you more, more aware of the different trends that are happening in, in different areas. The whole thing that Alice was saying about space and what Hannah was saying where some things are just you know, very separate and very focused in one area. Um, I, I think that that will broaden in some way. It can also tighten in some, in some other ways. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it can definitely strengthen cultural strategies where it's going in the future. I'm... I mean, I'm curious here a little bit, if anybody wants to weigh in, about the, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the, the career growth, the career, career trajectory. Yes. I don't think you can talk about any career growth and trajectory without talking about the intersectionality of it, where you live, who you are, what your gender is, what your, what your values are. I guess I'm curious if you think that, like, what might be an intersectional approach to understanding this career growth as a, as a, as a cultural strategist, potentially? Are there spaces to specialize? Do, do, uh, you know, do the loudest voices in the room, are they the ones that get um, you know, the most growth opportunities? I mean, inherently, I think like part of the reason I enjoy being a cultural strategist is because I'm terrible at making decisions, and there is so much flexibility in the way that you can use mm-hmm. a way of thinking about culture and applying that to so many different career paths. Um, and that in of itself, for someone who's terrible at making decisions, I'm just putting that off for future, you know, Brendan problems. Um, and that can be overwhelming, but I think it's a mindset, right? And so taking that mindset of thinking about the horizontal and applying it to yeah. many verticals or many topics, it makes you adaptable as, as, a, as a strategist, as an employee, or like you could go do anything. Like I could go open an ice cream shop if I wanted to, and I feel like I would be able to It would adapt. be the trendiest freaking it would be ice so, cream It would shop. be so good. This is my plug, uh, Brendan's ice cream. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, fortunately, it's all uh, ranch dressing flavored. <laughs> um, can I ask a related question that I think is really, that I, that I think is, is, is valuable? What are we going to be doing in 10 years? I might ask Alice, who's our, our futurist here. Um, what does is, what is the role of the cultural strategist look like in 10 years? Like, are we doing the same stuff we're doing now? Are we, are we the, is it minority report and we are all precogs in goo? Like, are we, is there a cultural, is there a chief cultural strategy officer at, in every C-suite? What do you imagine this job will look like in 10 years, Alice? Um, I feel like the culture will become like the fabric of like almost everything. Like uh, blockchain uh, tech, has re-engineered like all cultural industries and and this will become like a game changer like everyone will become an investor uh, investing in human and social tokens so there will be more adaptive behavioral based mm. policies and and there will be um, so tokenized communities will reward the most devoted and the kindest members of society rather than those with the most money. And I believe the cultural strategy will become like much more important as it enables uh, individuals um, and businesses and institutions to future-proof their decisions and most importantly become like a 
responsible and a reflective members of society. And, and think about like the fourth industrial revolution we are experiencing right now and kind of like, it's like any um, industrial revolution, kind of like the last one that we leave the physical labor uh, uh, from human being. And this time it's like relieve the mental labor from human beings. So, so it will be divided into like two groups of talents, like the ones who are really good with like speaking with machines and, and the other one is like really good with people, like understanding the, the needs of people. And I feel like we are the, we are the group of like yeah. people. <laughs> I'm loving the idea of, of selling like intellectual tokens, basically like renting your, renting your, your intellect out uh, and letting people leverage and trade and buy it. Um, Hannah, what, where do you think cultural strategy is going to be in 10 years? I have to say, I love Alice's answer. Um, the only <laughs> thing that I would add to it is just that I think there will be more of it. Yeah. Um, because as Alice said, it's going to be the fabric of everything. So let's imagine you're here. It's 10 years from now. You're SVP. You're, uh, you've overthrown Terry. No, I'm kidding. Um, do you imagine, because right now I feel like when we talk to our, our, our brand counterparts, we are talking to people who are insights officers and brand strategists. And, and I, I, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with a client where the other person on the, on the other end, their title is cultural strategist. Do you expect in 10 years, if we're all, you know, if we're all still here doing this, that we're going to be talking to uh, the cultural strategist at the CPG company or the beauty cultural strategist? Or will it still stay sort of that insights-focused world? Oh, I think it'll definitely change. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the name, we could all be strategists, futurists. You know, the names could change. I think um, depending on the departments, um, there could be more kind of like hybrid hybrid roles. But I would definitely anticipate that. Yeah, precogs. Aaron? Yeah, and I, I think when we're thinking about 10 years, you know, we have cultural strategists as a career, but we have really talented tech people who are building our AI system. And I we have love really talented marketing people who are coming up with new ways to get clients to think about this work. We have really talented visual intelligence uh, people on our team. So there's so many different roles for people. And we all, you know, contribute to the culture brief. Of course. We build this curriculum or, or lens into all the work that we do. So I think there's so many different ways that cultural strategy will disrupt all, yeah. you know, different roles. I will say our goal is to have a 2.0 version of this yeah. where there are no cultural strategists allowed to sit on the couch. <laughs> uh, and we bring in some of our tech and our uh, marketing and our admin crew. I'd love to pick yeah. up on that because yeah. we've been working with a couple clients. One in particular comes to mind. And they're talking about how um, they're recognizing sort of cultural fluency um, arising. And I think that's really like this thing that we're talking about. It's not necessarily new positions popping up, but like they being a private investment firm, looking at this as a new metric to their toolbox that is absolutely necessary of navigating things like DEI and navigating supply chain disruption and managing, you know, global pandemic. So I think that's not going to be a single position, but like that fluency is going to, and mm-hmm. companies like ours that attempts to size that change is going to continue to grow as well. And so that's going to require marketers or right. tech people. All of those people have to become fluent. And I think that's where that, that 10 years from now, we will all be a lot more fluent and maybe all a lot dumber because there's going to be so much to, we'll to catch up in 10 years. So. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Okay, Aisha, let me put you on the spot here. So you are our non-cultural strategist on the panel. I'm curious what your personal takeaways are from, from this conversation. Do you feel like, uh, like what do you feel like the, the spirit of the cultural strategist is? You know, like what are some of the, those core tenets that we talked about today that you heard that you think would make someone like really write for the field and sort of thrive in that position? 
Yeah, I think, I think uh, you know, kind of taking a step back, just talking about cultural strategy, like Alice and Hannah mentioned, I think it's going to be the fabric of, of whatever we do going forward, right? Yeah. And which is where I see the cultural strategists being those visionary leaders and taking that not just at Sparks and Honey, but to different organizations in different spaces and industries as we kind of grow. And from, I think, from, from a Spox and Honey standpoint, we've talked about some of our core values, about being curious, about having the courage to speak and, and share your point of view. Yeah. And I think those are the, the great, uh, the, the traits of a great cultural strategist. And, and that's something that we look for in all the people that we hire, right? Because I think it's irrespective of what walk of life you come from, uh, we like the diversity in terms of views and, and uh, perspective because that's that's really what makes us who we are. Um, and that's what culture is all about at the end of the day. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, that's going to take us through this, uh, this fascinating little culture briefing that we had today. I want to thank Alice, Aisha, Brendan, Ketsy, Hannah, all of our uh, people in studio. I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. You can join us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on our LinkedIn page. While you're there, jump in the comments section. Let us know your perspective on the day's topic. Let us know what we're getting right and getting wrong in the conversation. Obviously, uh, Q is a cultural intelligence platform that helps power all of this great cultural strategy work that we do. Uh, it helps us uh, bring you know, quantitative rigor to the very qualitative world of culture. So please feel free to reach out if you would like a tour. And until next week, consider yourselves briefed. <laughs>